0: You know, the greatest advice I always give HR people is learn the business of the business. You have to speak their language. I mean, you have to understand that you have to worry about the people, but you have to worry about the business, right? Instead of funding an organizational layoff, perhaps you should be triggering discussions on a layoff because you understand the business, right? So, you know, really understand the business and learn to say yes, not get your influence by saying no.
1: This is the Rebel HR Podcast the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. Welcome back, Rebel HR listeners. Extremely excited for the conversation today. Uh, I had to hit record because we were just having a wonderful conversation about everything from from working back at the the deli shop to weddings and wearing ties. And so uh, with us today is Bob Kelleher. Bob is an author, speaker, and founder of the Employee Engagement Group. Uh, He also has founded the AEC HR Summit he is a thought leader on employee engagement and leadership. He presents to audiences, including my company, uh, about all things related to employee engagement and great leadership. A really great friend and, uh, and, and a great colleague. Bob, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Kyle. I am absolutely delighted to be here with you and your audience. Thanks.
1: Thank you. And and I appreciate you taking the time uh, th- today. And I really think that our listeners are going to get some great content. I think that, um, you know, it, my personal experience with with some of the work that you've done and the things that you've shared with my team have been really impactful. And I've heard nothing but wonderful, uh, wonderful responses from some of the work we've done. And And I just think it's going to be really valuable for our listeners. So, uh, I'd like to start out by just understanding a little bit more about your background. What brought you into the rich world of employee engagement?
0: Well, I, I think this will certainly resonate with your listeners. Um, I, um, I'm a human resources professional, so I spent I spent many years in the trenches. Uh, Uh, I think I'll be giving my age away, but here goes. I was a personnel rep in 1985 uh, and uh, through a series of um, jobs in the human resources uh, area, I um, became corporate employment manager, became uh, director of training and development, became chief HR officer, became executive VP of human resources and organizational development, uh and actually became chief operations officer so i've i've spoken at a lot of hr conferences um, just just on that note alone as you know Kyle hr doesn't usually get a seat at the table in which you are running the company uh and i did uh, and and i i think it speaks to your audience that if you if you uh, operate as the hr traditional you know caretaker of policies you're not going to become chief operations officer um, so I, uh, I did that for, um, uh, over, over 30 years, In 2009, I was chief HR officer for a global, um, 50,000 employee company. I had an epiphany. I, I wanted to, um, I heard from so many people that I needed to write a book. Um, you know, I, I had spent many years inside focusing on engagement, uh, as a business driver, not as a nice to do thing. And uh, just so many people said, "Hey, you have to capture this. You know this is a case study. So I wrote my first book. Um, people started asking me to talk on the book. Uh, that led to a, uh, really a speaking business. People started asking me, uh, can you come and help us?" And that led to you know, a consulting business. Then they started asking, "Hey, do you do surveys and too much of a capitalist to always say no. So I finally said yes. Uh, and that led to you know selling products and um and and here I am so for the past 13 years I've I've uh, uh people could find me at the employee engagement group on employeeengagement.com
1: absolutely and you know I I think I think it's really important to uh uh you know maybe take a step back and 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 dig into one of the comments you made cuz it's something that I you know I I've seen um again and again when employee engagement works uh, in whether it's a department that's engaged or a company that's engaged or a leader that's engaged, the business just runs better. It just works. You see, you know better results. so and and you mentioned that engagement in your role was was really a business driver. So um unpack that a little bit. Uh, you know it, as as we look at employee engagement, we think about, all the things we do, how do we really tap into that engagement as a driver of the business?
0: Yeah, you know selfishly, when I started focusing on engagement, um, you know I didn't really know Kyle it was going to be a business driver. I just didn't want to spend my career showing up to various locations. And having people um, hate to see me, right? Because they would view that um, I was there to manage a layoff or a termination, or I was there to let them know that their uh, benefit premiums were going up, right? So it was all bad news stuff. So I, I really started proactively showing up to help uh, to help facilitate. You know, I had facilitation skills like a lot of HR people do. And I started facilitating group discussions about their business. You know, uh, uh, if you're underperforming in sales, why? So I was able to leverage facilitations, my facilitation skills to really help the business. And, and, you know, this became a, this became an internal program and, and businesses started asking me to appear to do an all day workshop. Um, on this, you know, we called it leadership excellence through advanced practices, but it really was an, an HR-led internal initiative. There was a business improvement program. And the outcome of that, uh, managers and employees would say, you know, we were engaged in the business. And and I was so early in this whole concept, Kyle, that, you know, employeeengagement.com was a domain that I acquired It was sitting out there. I acquired it because so many people said, you know, started calling me the engagement guy. Um, So it it, it was really in some ways selfishly motivated um, to get myself doing things that were more positively received by the business instead of negatively received. And as it turned out, we started tracking the business. You know, if I would appear and do a workshop, we would see business results going up. And at the time, you know, we got acquired by a private equity firm. And the private equity people loved this, this process and, that we were using. And they started asking me to use the process with sister companies. And we started measuring uh, the business results. So I was living a case study. Uh, and, you know, when we got acquired by a global company, they started asking me to do the same Work with you know their Hong Kong operations in Brazil uh, in Dubai, so I I lived it I, I, I lived it. Uh, now if you if you Google employee engagement business results, you'll see Gallup. I mean, there's a whole boutique industry right now that measures this. If you have higher engagement, uh, you're going to have higher results on your business. And if you have lower engagement, uh, at some point in time, it will you know negatively impact the business.
1: Absolutely, and I th- I think. You know, what's really interesting is, and I'm sure many HR professionals feel this way, you know, that there's, there's this constant question out there, the seat at the table, as you described it, right? You know, how how do you gain the, you know, the credibility? How do you get that seat? And in my opinion, it really comes down to solve business problems and drive results. And then you don't have to fight for a seat. People will just ask you to be there. It Was that your experience?
0: Yeah, I, you know, I... Hated um, the perception of HR as you know the evil HR director you know in Dilbert, and in some cases, and I hate to insult your audience, so I will apologize in advance for what I'm going to say. But in some cases, that reputation was deserved with the HR professional who truly viewed their power, their influence. Uh, was, you know, the gatekeeper of policies, right? No, you can't do this because we'll get sued. And I always wanted to introduce a concept of, you know, learn to say yes. So if the benefit form is arriving two days late, instead of saying we can't give our employee and their family benefits, uh, why can't we? Like, why can't we? So let's, let's learn to say yes. Let's try to help. Or if somebody wants to lay someone off, I don't want to tell the president of... The European operations, they can't. I want to be in the position of counseling them, give them the pluses and minuses and letting them know this is your decision, not my decision. I'm I'm here to help you, uh, not here to tell you what you can and cannot do. So, you know, the greatest advice I always give HR people is um, learn the business of the business. You have to speak their language. Um, You have to understand that you know you have to worry about the people, but you have to worry about the business right you know instead of funding an organizational layoff, perhaps you should be um triggering discussions on a layoff because you understand the business right so so you know really understand the business and learn to say yes not not get your influence by saying no
1: absolutely couldn't couldn't agree more you know one of the One of the interesting things about my early career that I reflect on is, you know, one of the best things that I got to do is I was in an operations role before human resources and I wanted to be in human resources after I was in that operations role when I figured out what HR did. And that was interesting to me, but I had to figure out the business before they let me do HR. And that, for me, that was a really big blessing because I had a team of, you know, at at certain times, well over a hundred employees that I was supervising and I was struggling <laughs> as a new leader and as just as a leader in general, that when I went into HR, I understood the day-to-day struggles in the life of somebody in an operations role. So I could be a better partner for them. And I also knew what their job was, right? That helps. You kind of, yep. you have to understand those things.
0: There's a reason why, um, some of these long standing, most admired companies, uh, you know, Pepsi, uh, um, Procter and Gamble, um, um, GE before they had their recent hiccup. Yeah, yeah. They would they would historically rotate people from operations into corporate roles, right? Because they wanted them to understand. You know, if you're an HR person and you have no idea what the business is like, oh, you don't know what being in the field is like versus being in, you know, corporate headquarters. Um, And you know, I think I think that is such an important uh, such an important evolution. I I, I always tell you know HR functions if if you can um, spend time in operations. If you can't do it through a transfer. Get out there, be proactive, do something that you do well for them and get, you know, get to know their business, have them see you as part of their team, not part of the HR function, you know? Um, So, you know, I think your experience in operations, my experience as COO um, taught me as much about my function in human resources as my prior, you know, 25 years at the time in human resources.
1: Absolutely, yeah. It was uh, um, it was a, a powerful learning moment for me. <laughs> the, the other thing that um, that uh, your 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 comments kind of jogged my memory about was a uh, you know a scenario where and, and I've told this story on the podcast before. So if I'm boring any listeners, I apologize. But I had a, a, an HR mentor early on who literally told me, you know, HR's job is to be equal opportunity you know, hate everybody the same. (laughs) And it was, it was said as a joke, but there, you know, under every little bit of sarcasm, there's a little bit of truth there, but that really, you know, that kind of that compliance mindset that, Hey, let's just make sure we don't get sued. Like just thinking in that context that will ripple out into all of your actions. And, and, and that just, like, I don't know about you, Bob. That just sounds like that would just suck. I don't want to do yeah. that job in a selfish yeah. way.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of clients um, uh, really all over the globe. And, you know, um, once again, I might be insulting the function, but um, if I'm hired by the CEO or COO, um, it's a different relationship if I'm, than I'm, if I'm hired by some of the human resource folks was still in that compliant telling me, you know, well, you can't say this, you can't do this, you can't um, you know, so so it runs deep uh, in, you know, inside the function. And and I do think it has changed. I mean, it's changed so much for the better, Kyle. Uh, you know, the vast majority of human resource professionals um, when I first entered HR in the personnel department, you know, we weren't trained personnel people. You know, I was a former school teacher, right? Um, you know, it it was always funny that the CFO was, you know, you know, a CPA and they had an MBA and, you know, the HR person, uh, um, you know, six months prior, they were in charge of the receptionist. Um, so the evolution of the function has evolved for the better so much in the past uh, 30 years. So, you know, it's a function that I, I, I love daily. Even when I was COO, I was a a successor to the CEO and I wanted to get back in to, you know, my comfort area of, you know, focusing on the people, which I always found to be, you know, the best part of the job. But the function has certainly evolved and, you know, these, uh, you know, these associations and podcasts and disrupt HR, there is a, there is a a breed of HR people that I think is, uh, have been doing some great things, pushing the function. And, and I'm, you know, on the second uh, second nine, not the front nine, but I do see uh, a lot of people uh, really pushing the function in a uh, more innovative, uh, edgy way that I think is great.
1: Absolutely, I think you know I, that's that's certainly been my experience at least over the last you know decade or so that that I've been you know working you know more more directly in the function and and I think you know what's What's really been interesting is the, just the change over the last few years, kind of the acceleration of change with, you know, trying to figure out work from home, you know, social unrest, dealing with something that, uh, that we never thought we would deal with, you know, a global pandemic. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I remember talking to, uh, to my CEO, um, who, you know, really well, Bob, and, yeah. you know, and, and his comment at one point was, this is all HR you know all of this, this this is the most important thing right now is taking care of the people and putting the people first and and you know having a leader like that having a you know a focus like that especially in these times i think is so critical but i guarantee you that there's so many professionals listening to this right now that are nodding their heads up and down yes yes i agree but then the next question is, but how do I do that in my organization? So from your standpoint, Bob, as, as you think about the changes that you've seen and the changes that maybe still need to occur in many of our organizations, what would be some steps that you would recommend an HR professional do if they see that there needs to be some level of change or elevation uh, or focus on the people?
0: Yeah, you know, it's... It, it's... It's an interesting question, Kyle. Because um, is it is it the culture that the function is not being allowed to um, you know be influential, or is it the individual sitting in the seat who's incapable of being influential? So so it's a tough one to paint with a broad base brush right Um, but I would say if, if you view yourself as an innovative disruptive type of HR person or function or team and you have some resistance because the CEO him or her is resistant to the HR function maybe they had a bad experience right so maybe they view the HR department as the police department Um, then I would, I would encourage you to find the most senior person organizationally who does support the function. Bond with that person, that function. Get them as your uh, partner and increasing, increasing that. Um, the visibility of both you personally, as well as the function, because there's always someone who reports up to the CEO who gets it in case the CEO or COO doesn't, uh, you know, find that person, partner with that person, uh, create value. If by some chance that it's the culture and it's, uh, you know, it's an old fashioned organizational culture that the function is never going to get the respect. Uh, Life is too short to not have influence. And I would encourage people to weigh their career options elsewhere. You know, try to fix where you are. It's always easier, I think, than to, you know, look to change the jobs every time there's a hiccup. But occasionally you might find yourself in an organization that if the frustration level is so high and you can't influence, there are so many organizations that are looking for HR to lead uh, that I uh, I would encourage you to Away, some alternatives.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you know it's it's a really important point. I think yeah, have, having an ally is really important. You know the the right ally. Um, and and I think being honest about that, you know that cultural question. But I also think I think the other point I think that is really individ, Im, really important was the the comment about you know is it the individual you know hey, you know before you jump. Have you really done everything, you know, that that you can do to to expand your influence? You know, right. it, are you saying yes as much as you can? Are you really thinking outside the box or are you just frustrated because somebody asked a question that you didn't like the tone of? You know what I mean? And and right, but right. there's there's you know, you have I I I truly believe you kind of have to ask those questions internally. And yes, once you've checked the box that yeah, I really have checked the <laughs> Those questions, yeah, it's time to it's time to think about doing something else. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I just had a discussion with a client who's a wonderful HR professional who who uh, feels somewhat uh, somewhat left out of the inner circle of the CEO, uh, but she's bonded uh, with the COO in such a way that it has given her. Uh, hope uh, and encouragement that, you know, it's a good company. Um, she also views, you know, CEO tenures aren't that long. Uh, and she she's concluded that the organizational culture, the COO, other people, uh, it's worth sticking it out, even if the head person maybe has a legacy opinion of HR that isn't favorable. Um, so, you know, there's such personal decisions. You know, I do believe the HR folks can uh, can help themselves stay current. I, I read the latest. uh I go to the conferences. Uh, you know, hear what other people are saying. Build your network, um, and uh, look at your function in the mirror. You know, are you are you um, a business partner, or are you a business police department? Uh, mm-hmm. And ask what can we what can we ourselves do differently?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I you know self admittedly, I certainly fall into that trap of like, almost like being like the traffic cop. Right. And, and it's, and it's because it's how many of us were trained or brought up, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're supposed to be the policy police. You're supposed to be the black and white, you know, decider in a lot of cases, but, um, so often you you lose the, the human element, you know, and, and you, you, <laughs> you get yeah. stuck in this it's almost like getting stuck in a rut where you just, you just kind of become a you know, an, an autonomous decision maker. <laughs> the greatest <laughs> you know, advice it's just terrible.:
0: <laughs> The greatest advice I give people, and I used to practice this myself uh, if, if you are in human resources, everything you do that's reactive doesn't get noticed unless you do something wrong so so think about that for a moment all of the administrative things that people do all of the reactive things filling requisitions and you know uh, managing open enrollment and in your pay program and trying to deal with the escalation of salaries and an inflationary period all of the administrative things that come across our desk which which can exhaust all of us I put in a reactive camp. True personal engagement occurs when we are proactive. So how do you establish a day? And I used to tell my team, I had 450 HR people reporting to me. And I used to say, try to schedule your week so that 50% of your week is proactive and 50% of your week is reactive. Proactive would be your... You're inviting yourself to a department meeting. You're creating a virtual training program uh, for employees. You're introducing a new employee referral program. Um, you know, in personal engagement comes when you're introducing and doing something proactively, but the function is so, is so uh, uh, administrative heavy that you find yourself in a rut you can just like sit there like and i I used to joke with my wife i could sit in my office and never do anything that would be proactive like everything comes to me emails telephone calls time for open enrollment boss wants to see me like everything comes And when I would separate myself and introduce stuff, I'm designing a new program, I'm showing up to a department, I'm creating an event. um, Those were the things that would just make me um, be electrified and the things that would get me noticed. So I finally concluded, hey, any proactive thing I do gets me positive press or the department positive press. Anything that's administrative that comes to me the press can only be bad when you do something wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah. Recruiting comes to mind.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's only bad. When it's, it's, you know, it's expected that you fill all these open positions, but it's bad when you have too many.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, um, the ghost positions, right? So people get the approval for a rec, uh and they really don't want to fill it, but it kills your, um, process your recruiting <laughs> team, days to fill a rack again. Yeah. 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 Those things can be tough.
1: <laughs> yeah. I've had that. Yeah. Especially lately. I seem to have a lot of those dialogues, but it's, um, uh, you know, it's, it's been interesting, but you know, here's one thing that I, you know, that I will say on that is, you know, in one of my, one of my locations, I have an, a, a leader who truly believes in employee engagement. Um, you know he 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 lives it he breathes it he's involved he listens and guess who has zero open positions right now in a manufacturing setting
0: yeah, you know, yeah.
1: he he has people asking to work here because they they have referrals and and you right, know and that's right. just another great example of like the the business is running smoothly you know retention is great because we have a leader who believes in employee engagement and truly supports. uh, It's not, it's not
0: coincidental, Kyle. It's, it, uh, there's a reason why he has no open requisitions.
1: <laughs> yeah, so even in even if you're just looking at this from a purely selfish you know standpoint, it's like it really isn't fun to have to hire people and have vacant positions. So you know if if you don't want to do that, then employee engagement
0: can really help. <laughs> well, think of think of uh, filling your swimming pool. If you have a big giant hole in your liner, right, it's really difficult, and it's the same concept. If you have low engagement, which usually results in higher than industry average voluntary turnover, right? And you're trying to grow your business. The hardest thing in the world to do is add headcount while you're also replacing headcount. You know, and it becomes toxic, you know, as 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 people leave, even people who weren't thinking of leaving start thinking of leaving, right? It's the Pied Piper effect. Uh, and I think, you know, focusing on engagement has just so many tangible benefits. Uh, something as simple as your employee referral percents go way up when people are engaged enough to refer their colleagues.
1: Absolutely. Um, So I, I do want to talk about that a little bit. Obviously, you know, you're, you're subject matter expert, you've, you've lived it, You've you've written the books um, for organizations that are, are looking at engagement or maybe are wanting to look at engagement. Where would you say the best place to start is? You know, is it? Do you start with measuring how you're doing? Do you start with learning and development? Where would you advise that we start to think about this if this is new
0: for us? Yeah, so this is. This is going to sound self-serving because we do engagement surveys, but I don't really care who you use to do an engagement survey. But you need to have a baseline, right? And the baseline can't be this is what HR thinks or this is what the leaders think because the leaders in HR always think uh, more positively than what is really happening, right? So, you know, the metaphor I like to use, Kyle, you would never go to your doctor's office, the annual physical, without getting blood work. Right, and I think an engagement survey is your blood work for your organization. You need to know uh, where are the pain points. So before you, you know, focus on training and development, is that a pain point? You know, is that where the focus should be? Is it, you know, um, do you have a leadership issue? You know, um, I always, I always look at an engagement survey, and I can tell from the first review that. You don't have an engagement issue. You have a leadership trust issue. And because you have a leadership trust issue, it's trickling throughout the organization. So if you focus on training and development, that's not going to fix your leadership trust issue. So, you know, give yourself some data and uh, view, view engagement like the CFO views, you know, the, you know, the P&L statement, uh, capture your data. That gives you some idea of where to focus your energy, as well as real, you know, what locations or departments or divisions you should be focusing your energy.
1: Absolutely. And I can attest, you know, we, we started doing this a few years ago. Um, it really highlighted some areas of focus. The other thing it really helped us do was figure out what to actually prioritize, because like you said, you could sit here and e- even in the 50% proactive stuff that you're trying to do, if you've, you're you throwing all your energy at a program that, that your employees don't feel like is a need, you're not going to move the needle as much as if you actually try to solve a problem that they have <laughs> in their day-to-day work.
0: A great case study on that. Um, in the year 2000, we were owned by a German firm, the, the firm I was with. We were, we were about, uh, at the time, about 1,200 employees. And we were acquired, um, the German parent, you know, they wanted to exit uh, their North American business. So um, they brought in a private equity firm and we partnered with them. So I, I became a management uh, owner because we all had a write checks too. Uh, and the private equity folks wanted to come in with a bang. So they said, Bob, what do you think of us doubling the 401k match? And, you know, the typical HR response might be, oh, that's great news. Let's do it. So I, I said, well, you know, that's going to cost us, uh, I, you know, I forget the amount, but let's just say, you know, that was going to be like a million dollars. I said, well, you know, I don't really, I'm not hearing a lot of people tell us that our 401k match is not competitive. In fact, it's probably right at the baseline of competitiveness. Uh, why don't we ask our employees what they think? So we actually did a poll survey, and overwhelming the response was training and development. Like, like it wasn't even close. So, you know, we had we had over a thousand comments. Now one person said, "Can we have more four hundred one k match dollars?" <laughs> like, uh, so, so what I use, I I took that and I said we could build a corporate university for a smaller amount than what you want to spend. Let's create a best in class corporate university, and that's what we did. And it was a game changer. So we were all set to spend money uh, to fix a a need that we didn't have. And we reallocated the funds to a need that we did have that, uh, you know, truly became an engagement game changer. <laughs>
1: That's a great example. Um, and uh, I think a great, you know, a great reminder that we need to have a baseline and, and, and have a consistent, you know, measurement uh, style as well. You know, I think... I, I will put a plug in here, not necessarily to be serving you, Bob specifically, but I do strongly believe you need to go to a professional survey company, as opposed to trying to do all these surveys yourself, because there are, you know, survey design is one of those sciences that, um, there's, you really need an expert to understand and, and then to, and then probably more importantly, to actually interpret that data in a way that's actionable, right? That's, that's the other big issue, right?
0: And, you know, any, any survey provider and, uh, I, you know, I know all of them and they all provide great benchmarks, right? Because if you do a survey without external benchmarks, I'm going to tell you right now, compensation is going to come in low <laughs> and, and you're going to think, and you're going to think you have a compensation issue. Now, you know, As it stands in these inflationary times, you probably do have a compensation.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're probably legit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but typically, um, you don't have a compensation issue. And as soon as you benchmark it, you'll see that your compensation scores based on engagement could be in the top 90 percentile right so you end up focusing on things that you shouldn't be focusing on based on an artificial benchmark against yourself so having the external benchmarks i think you know provides a very accurate prism on where you should be focusing your time and energy absolutely
1: well, this has been a great conversation. Unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our time together, um, and I'm sure you're running off to another all-day workshop or, or, or something like that. So I want to shift gears and get into the uh, Rebel HR flash round questions. Yep. Question number one, where does HR need to rebel?
0: I, I would um, rebel on the administrative uh, perception side of things and... You know, um, be be viewed organizationally um, as a driver of innovative thoughts inside your organisation. Um, you know, when you think of innovation, you generally don't think of the HR department, right? Uh, but if you think of it, the HR department is the people department. Innovation is born uh, from from people. So how can you how can you shift uh, the perception organizationally that we are here providing administrative support and we are here providing cutting edge uh, consultative insights to the organization that's that's what I would suggest
1: absolutely. Question number two, who should we be listening to?
0: Yeah, you know I, I, I um, so here's a plug for you. you know I love these disruptive, Uh, folks that are doing the podcasts and the conferences and, um, and, you know, I think there's a whole new breed of, um, disruption taking place and, you know, inside the function, uh, you know, people that I tend to, um, um, kind of, kind of read and listen to, um, you know, I love, I love Malcolm Gladwell, um, you know, I think he he bridges um, personal and business in such a great way. And you know, I've spoken alongside uh, Dan Pink. Um, you know, in his work is always exceptional, and it you know leads um, always with the people part of the business. Uh, uh, Thomas Friedman um, um, is is a brilliant mind. Uh, you know, I think if you're not a global company. Today, you will be tomorrow. And his work, you know, is, his legacy book, The World is Flat, uh, uh, is, is um, y- you know, probably the greatest business book you'll ever read. Um, you know, on the innovation side, uh, um, The Innovator's Dilemma um uh, by Clayton Christensen from Harvard Business School uh, is a must-read for every HR professional. Uh, um, even uh, if you read uh, the Steve Jobs story, he'll reference it that it changed his life. Uh, uh, and if you're trying to be disruptive, you know one of the ways of getting there is to be more innovative yourself. and And uh, Clayton Christensen's work is a cutting-edge work in the work um, in the work of innovation.
1: Absolutely. Um, I'll put a couple of plugs out there. Uh, Bob's got a couple of great books uh, as well. Uh, I engage your personal engagement roadmap uh, is uh, is that the most recent book?
0: Yeah. And it was written right before COVID and uh, you know, in some ways, because it really is about personal engagement and talks quite a bit about what happens at home influences you at work And it was written for COVID times in some ways because of, (laughs) uh, as we all found ourselves, you know, in in hybrid workforces, right? Um, So it's a terrific book. It's personal. It has 22 career rest stops. So it's not so much a book for leaders, although leaders love it uh, to do with their team. But it's a wonderful book for an individual to uh, figure out uh, their own personal engagement and why it might be waning.
1: Absolutely. Um, and then uh, we'll also include in the show notes there's actually on on uh, Bob's website. there's actually a page dedicated to employee engagement books. There's some other recommendations out there. Of course, his books are available. So open up your uh, your podcast player and, and and click in there, and you'll be able to find that. So last question, how can our listeners connect with you?
0: Um, if you go on YouTube, um, you know some of the most watched um, videos in the world. Um, you, you know, who's seeking your boat? It's a video I did a few years back. It's had 1.3 million views. So there are some cool ways of connecting with me just on YouTube. And those are free ways, right? You know, things that you can do and, and share the videos. They're four minutes long. Share them with your team. Uh, a great way of um, leveraging engagement in a very inexpensive way. Um, you can find me on employeeengagement.com. Pretty easy website. Um, and you know, there's a resource section. We post articles, best practices. Um, you know, a lot of free stuff. Uh, and then there's ways of um, seeing how you bring me in. Either to give a talk, we do workshops. Uh, I was I was joking uh, with Kyle before we uh went live that you know these these zoom talks have been very powerful because it allows me to wear shorts as i give a talk Uh, so that's a benefit
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and as far as you you look professional to me bob so you know shorts or whatever you know i we talked about that on our first podcast, uh, ever. And I think we described it as it's like a reverse mullet, right? It's like there's business on top and a party on the bottom. Yeah. So, yeah, part, party on Bob. <laughs> I'm
0: love that. Uh, i going to steal that, but I will give you, uh, I will give you credit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I stole it from some, some video I saw somewhere. So I can't take credit, but I, I love the description. So Bob, this has just been absolutely wonderful. Again, I know your, your time is very valuable. I appreciate you. You know, given us uh, a, a couple minutes here. And and I know that you know our listeners are going to take a lot away from this. We'll have all that information in the show notes. Um, check it out. Uh, really appreciate the time, Bob.
0: Hey, you're both a, a great professional uh, colleague uh, as well as a friend. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks, Bob. Take care.
1: All right. That does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast. Twitter at Rebel HR Guy or see our website at RebelHumanResources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent.
0: No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.